Well, I asked for comebacks on last week's show, and boy, did the soccer gods deliver. I'm Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast, and on today's show, we will talk about the comeback that shocked the soccer world and the one that fell just narrowly short. But we'll start with Toronto FC team, who built a commanding lead in the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals and actually held it topping Club America to advance to the tournament's final for the first time in club history. I'm joined this week by Joshua Cloak of The Athletic to break all of that down. But before we start, Josh, can you believe that a team from Toronto, this team from Toronto, is a two-legged final away from the Club World Cup? Um, It is pretty astounding. I I have to stop. And, I mean, obviously, I I want, um, as as listeners, I'm sure, where I want you know, Bayern to get all the way to the Club World Cup as well. But the prospect of Bayern playing TFC would really, uh, it would be a difficult one for me to cover. But no, I mean, it's really, it's incredible when 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 TFC kind of launched the season at their, their president's breakfast and Bill Manning comes out and says, we think we're good enough to win CONCACAF Champions League. I couldn't have been the only one that said, well, that's that's a bit bold. That's a bit much right now considering their relative lack of success in that tournament um but it you know i i'll always remember last year um midway through the season greg vanny kind of telling us that that you know at the beginning of the season he met with the team and he he met with his players and he he essentially said let's be different let's do things that no other team has done and when you go into it with that mindset, you, you, you're not just taking every win as if you are, um, as if it's a surprise. You're taking every win as if it's expected. And that kind of mentality can go a long way, right? Absolutely. This is a team that has definitely believed in itself and, and just reaches for the stars. And like, no matter what they're going into, they seem to believe that they can win it and I mean, as evidence, they seem to be doing that. And let's let's start by talking about that result that got Toronto FC to the CONCACAF Champions League final. Uh, a 1-1 draw at the Azteca. Game starts, Josie Altidore goes down with injury early, and that didn't look good for Toronto FC at that point. But Tose Ricketts comes on, um, assists, or, well, sort of assists. He, he kind of gets bundled over, but he plays a part in Jonathan Osorio's opening goal. And then it's defend for Toronto FC until the final whistle, um, essentially until um, a late penalty makes it 1-1. But at that point, it's too late. Toronto FC advance. 4-2 on aggregate. Uh, what did you make of that game down at the Azteca, Josh? Well, I think they did everything that they needed to do. I mean, it, I, it kind of brought back memories of of last year's MLS Cup playoffs and especially that series against Columbus where the term ugly soccer became, you know, the, the, the go-to term. I mean, they looked nothing like the club that really ran amok in MLS, um, you know, through the late months of, even early months and late months of summer when they were putting together those six-game win streaks. This is a team that, when we talk about their depth, we have to talk about the fact that they are different ways for this TFC team to win games. I mean, 
They can bowl you over with their offensive talent, their quick ball movement. But as evidence, they can also win by just, you know, really, really stifling teams defensively. And that's what they did. I've been a bit, you know, I've questioned a lot of Drew Moore's uh, moves throughout this early season, but he had a great game and, and, you know, you, you watch this team and you watch Eric Zavaleta kind of overcome from what looked like a really uncomfortable first 10 or 15 minutes and have an, a sound defensive game. And, you know, we don't often talk about TFC's back line that often. And, and, you know, again, perhaps we should because when we talk about depth, uh, it's more than just, you know, having a lot of talented midfielders. It's It's finding different ways to win soccer games. And, you know, even though TFC didn't really have much in the way of build-up after that first goal, there was really no doubt that they were going to walk out of there with the result they needed, right? And behind that back line, Alex Bono um, seemed to have one of his best games in a Toronto FC shirt, certainly making what I would consider to be his best save in a Toronto FC shirt on the diving header from Paul Aguilar. It's unbelievable that he was able to get down like that and uh, stab that away. You have to wonder if if U.S. men's national team, whoever the next coach is and, and who's ever watching their talent right now, looks at a game like that and a performance like that at the Azteca and, you know, starts to starts to take notes on that because that would absolutely be something that the U.S. program would be looking for. Um, you know, the story going into this game, Toronto's son's Kurt Larson reporting that a Club America staffer actually told Toronto FC in preseason that you'll never win anything with this goalkeeper referring to Bono, which is hilarious looking at that game um, and what happened. What did you make of Alex Bono and his continued ability to to make saves for Toronto FC in the big games? I mean, it is pretty remarkable that not that long ago, Bono was playing at Syracuse University, which is not a slag on on you know, the Orangemen at all. It's it's just indicative of how quickly he's adapted to, um, you know, big games in MLS. And, and it just speaks to, it speaks to not only his abilities, because he is a, a pretty natural uh, shot stopper. It speaks to just the confidence that he can be a part of this team. And, and you have to give him credit as well, because there were games, there were stretches of games last year where you know Bono was was barely getting tested, and that you know when 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 TFC were kind of figuring out that they could be this this best MLS team on you know ever, it it wasn't often because of Bono. He was very often just there. He wasn't called upon to make these big saves, but to be able to just stay stay with it, stay committed, it's it's uh, it's pretty remarkable to see from him. Yeah, and another player who's having a rather remarkable performance in this CONCACAF Champions League is Jonathan Osorio. He's had a great year in general, but I think especially for these big games, and he's become kind of a big game player for Toronto FC as well as Alex Bono, one of these players who steps up um, when Toronto needs him the most. You look at him having one of his best performances ever in the MLS Cup Final last year. And now he's doing it again um, in these CONCACAF Champions League. Um, he has three goals. And for me, he's probably been Toronto FC's MVP to this point in the competition. Yeah, I'd say so. He's just playing with um, he's playing with a, a kind of calm that you, haven't, you don't often see from him. I was watching um, 
you know, this second leg with another writer and, and he, he kind of said that, you know, it always seems like tragedy is just around the corner for, for Osorio and that like, you know, he's, he's had a lot of ups and downs in his career and he's had a lot of, um, there's been a lot of doubt cast in terms of, can he actually be uh, a notable producer and a day in day out producer for this team? And he's, what he's done so well is he's just played to his strengths. He hasn't, you know, very often you you see players that try to evolve and and when their spot in the lineup isn't, you know, solidified, that you you see them try to add tools to the toolbox and and try to become something they're not, right? You know, Jonathan Osorio is incredible at, you know, kind of playing in that that 10-ish role. He's not a natural playmaker, but he can hold up the play. He can allow his forwards to get in position, and then he can join the attack whenever he needs to. And that's that's really all you want from him when you have a player like Marky Delgado who can play a little bit behind him at times. It's it's he's he's not doing anything that he's never done before. He's just doing it more and more consistently. We talk about the players who were there, but for Toronto FC, there are also a long list of players who weren't there. And um, as impressive as Toronto FC's squad depth has been, and you talked about that earlier, when you look at last year's playoffs, almost everyone was healthy towards the end. And obviously, Josie Altidore had a bit of an ankle injury, but he was able to play the majority of the minutes. Um, And going into these big games and not having Chris Mavinga with the sports hernia, Victor Vasquez, who's dealing with that nerve injury and and Justin Morrow as well. Three starter, not only starters, but pretty key starters. Um, How impressive has this been that not only is the depth doing it, you know, in the, in the summer months of MLS, but um, in big games against some of the best teams in the region. Yeah. It's really, it's really impressive. And it's, it speaks to, it speaks to, to me, it speaks to the scouting department that this team has. And it speaks to, you know, Jack Dodd and, and everything he's done with this team and, and their ability to find players that, that can fit into different roles and, and find players that can fill a job very easily. You know, I remember Greg said last year when he was talking about his depth, he said he can look down his bench and he can find a player that needs to do one specific thing very well you know, whatever that thing is. So to me, it's it speaks to a team that has really uh, understood that, you know, stars are, are good, but stars will not win you games over, you know, a long, long period of time. Stars will win you a game or two here and there, but it's the players like the, like, you know, the Delgados and, and the Ash Morgans. I mean, what a story right now that, that, you know, players that can step in and not need those, regular minutes and as a boost to confidence but can come in do a job and do one thing really really well and that's really impressive to see and this allows Greg Vanny to to game plan as well I mean you see Altidore go down early and he's able to put Ricketts in there and um, I mean I think that having Altidore in there would have helped Toronto uh, maybe connect between the midfield of the forward group a little bit better and maybe push Club America back on a couple of opportunities but at the same time their goal was defensive and it didn't hurt them all that much and then you've got Greg Vanderveel who's been so important to Toronto FC in this competition he has to come off at halftime and they switch to the 4-4-2 
um, giving their giving their right backs a little bit more coverage um, and bringing on Nico Hasler. Um, what have you made of that ability to to switch within games when stuff like this happens? I mean, two substitutions before halftime at the Azteca that that can't be ideal. No, it can't. But it's again, I, I feel like we're having trouble finding the holes in this team, but there's really none right now. I mean, this Greg Vanny is is an excellent you know man manager, and he understands how to get the most out of players. And you know, I really I really like the way that you know, even if you have. Gregory Vanderveel, who was without a doubt their their best defender to start the game, he was arguably their best defender the game before. He can jump into different roles, as you said, and and he can play in more of a center back role. Um, but their ability to shift shapes and kind of you know go from that three five two to you know a, a shape that really kind of clogs up the midfield more in the second half, which I thought they were doing. They were really trying to you know, stifle any opportunity for Club America to build up in any way. So their ability not just to find a player to, to sub on for another guy, but because if you looked at times, Toss was kind of playing as a bit of a, a, a you know, a midfield wing role in a way. And, 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 and that didn't necessarily help Seba. I think he was a bit isolated, but they also weren't necessarily going for increased buildup, right? So their ability to, to, to shift shape is is also very impressive. And the organization as well, one of the things that struck me about this game was just how prepared Toronto FC was for it. I mean, uh, you can talk about on the field um, as much as we have, but I mean, thinking ahead that they go into that preseason in Mexico, they play at altitude, um, they play against Club America actually as well. Um, they're training with those altitude simulation masks on. They arrive in Mexico early um, and train above the uh, above the level of the Azteca in terms of altitude, so they can um, make it easier on their lungs when they are playing at the Azteca. To me, this speaks to not only a team that uh, thinks about you know the on the field product but also thinks about how can we uh, plan ahead for these games to put our players in the best possible situation yeah again they this this was their goal like winning champions league and and it's really remarkable how they've gone through they've now gone through mexico's two best teams i mean they went through mexico's most talented team in tigres they went through Mexico's most historic team in Club America, and now they're in the final. Like, there's, I mean, Colorado is Colorado, but what they've gone through, they've essentially, in my mind, they've played two finals already. Um, and and it is starting to wear on them. Uh, Greg Vanny did a conference call yesterday, Thursday, and, and he admitted guys are tired. Like, guys are starting to really feel worn down. Um, and I think that will be reflective in the lineup that he chooses for Colorado and for Houston because this this is a time to give these TFC TFC two guys some minutes. Um, you know they've looked TFC have looked okay in the league so far, but you have to sacrifice that for Champions League success right now. And I don't think anybody would complain because you you want to be giving your kids minutes anyway, right? Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk about. Um play your kids maybe a little later but um before we before we leave this club america uh toronto fc segment um 
there's been kind of a debate on MLS Twitter right now. Uh, uh, you look at these results and, and people have been quick to say, you know, MLS is closing the gap on, on Liga MX. Um, but there's also people who say it's just Toronto FC who's closing the gap. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think, I, I would say that Toronto FC is definitely definitely a lot closer than any other MLS team, but I think the league as a whole is starting to a little bit as well. Yeah, I, I'm actually inclined to, 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 to think that this is more, um, more a reflection of TFC's success than, than MLS. I mean, Red Bulls played really, really well in their second leg, but they, they couldn't beat uh, Chivas. And, and to me, again, it comes back to TFC have looked really compelling at times. Their first leg against Tigres, their first leg against Club America, they looked like CONCACAF, a CONCACAF Champions League team a team that could win it all and then in the second leg they they shift to a more defensive approach and again like I said that speaks to a team that finds different ways to win Red Bulls couldn't do that um, so to me this is more about TFC than it is MLS because you, you you're gonna have to if we want to have this you know MLS Liga MX conversation we have to see sustained success from different MLS sides and until we see that I think you have to look at TFC as kind of just raising the bar and, and kind of going at it alone right now. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. Um, and, I mean, you, you even look at the way that they've built these series in terms of uh, Toronto FC. They, they honestly weren't considered the favorites uh, in either of these games against Tigris and Club America. Maybe they were uh, over here a little bit by, by journalists and, and, and reporters who know this team a little bit better and understand their capabilities. But now, interestingly, they go into a final where we saw a Chivas team who, who struggled a lot with the New York Red Bulls, who aren't having uh, a great time domestically lately. Um, do you think Toronto FC go into this final as the heavy favorite, um, considering you know what they've done in this competition and what they've done domestically? Yeah, I don't know about heavy favorites, but I, I'd call them favorites. Um, you know, Chivas aren't the type of team that uh, can attack the way that the Tigers and Club America can. Um, they're a little more reserved in terms of the way they operate on the pitch. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they line up. But again, if you, you, you know, if you've beaten the two most prestigious clubs in Mexico right now, and you're playing a, a club that doesn't have that level of prestige, I, I think, yeah, you have to be considered a favorite. I don't know about heavy favorites because it's, it's, it's a final, it's a two-legged final. Anything can happen. But I think, I think if you're, I think the smart money is on TFC at this point. And Bill Manning has asked Toronto FC supporters to buy tickets for this game because Chivas are such a global global brand. And uh, we certainly saw what they did at Red Bull Arena um, during the semifinals where uh, they had all kinds of fans there. Um, how big of a threat do you think it is that there's there's sort of a takeover in Toronto or do you expect BMO Field to, to once again be red um, on Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see traveling support and that's great. Um, but I... I mean, if, if you're asking BMO Field to, to get a bit louder to drown out traveling support, everything in my experience has proven that they can do that. So no, uh, no real concerns here on my, uh, on my end. They do, uh, Toronto FC, have a game 
this weekend in MLS, as you mentioned, uh, seems any MLS game at this point seems almost like an afterthought considering what's happening in the Champions League. Um, considering how close we are to the game and and the complete unpredictability, I won't ask uh, at all for you to predict the lineup at all. But looking at this game and, and the one at Houston as well, um, Toronto FC is definitely going to play. I mean, they've already mentioned against Houston, they're basically going to play a reserve side. Um, this is almost exciting for me. Like, I, I'm happy to see a bunch of these guys get some opportunities. Um, which which player do you th- would, in in your opinion, would you like to see um, that hasn't necessarily gotten his shot yet uh, get some minutes in these games? Yeah, I, I think a player that that Greg Vanny and I had talked about before the season was was Liam Fraser, and and I know he's kind of the obvious one, but he's been on the bench for most of these games. He's been in the 18, so. He's had an opportunity not just to be, you know, included in the squad, but watch the way that some of the players that he's aspiring to be, aspiring to be, watching the way they operate. You know, he's he's looked at as not a successor to Michael Bradley, but he knows that he's trying to get into that role that Michael Bradley has on lockdown. So, if you're going to play him, what has he observed from players like Michael Bradley? You know, what does he observe from these pros day in and day out that he can maybe apply to the pitch? Um, I mean, it's easy to, to say a lot of TFC2 guys could could get a shot, and, and a lot of them probably will. But if that's the case, can you therefore envision Liam Fraser to immediately jump into a bit of a, you know, a leadership role on the pitch? So I, I'm curious to see what he's learned from his time in and around the club so far and and curious to see how that looks when he hopefully does get some minutes uh, against Colorado or sorry against Houston yeah definitely a, a promising young player he he was actually in Denmark during the uh, during the off season and um, really impressed with HB Koje over there who um, apparently have quite a good academy and they they actually kept him for an extended look um, with their system just because they they enjoyed having him there so much so um a lot of good good news coming out about Liam Frazier um another player who Toronto FC might be adding to uh add to their defensive depth uh Kurt Larson of the Toronto Sun reporting that Jason Hernandez um might possibly be coming back to Toronto FC obviously a player with them last season um what would you make of this signing and adding some depth and some familiar depth to that back line yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I mean, I, it's it sounded like it was always going to happen. I, I think Jason Hernandez is a you know he's a, the kind of player that again can come in and do a job when required. But they're they're quite far along already into their season and you know their Champions League uh, campaign. If if Hernandez can get up to match fitness sooner rather than later, I think that's a good thing. But we've seen when players come over that. I shouldn't say come over. We've seen when players sign midway through a season that it often takes a while, you know, for them to get up to match fitness. So if that's something that can happen sooner rather than later, then it it would be a a benefit for TFC right now. And uh, let's move on from Toronto's team to everyone's new favorite team, or at least that seems to be the sentiment among people not in certain areas of Spain and Germany. Uh, That being Roma. 
and uh, a lot of this show will be dedicated to them in the, in the later half, I'm sure. But um, they're also involved in our match of the week this week. Uh, each week, we pick a match that we think Footy Talks show listeners should watch. And this week, I've picked the Derby of the Capital um, or the Rome Derby, that being Lazio and Roma on Sunday in the Serie A. Um, there was a lot of talk actually before the second leg uh, of the Champions League against Barca that Roma should actually rest a bunch of their players for that game because of how important this weekend fixture is. Um, Lazio currently sit in third on 60 points. Roma are in fourth, also on 60 points. And Inter Milan are just one point behind them in fifth um, with seven matches to play. So this is all to play for uh, at the top and in terms of Champions League qualification for next season. Um, Roma are evidently coming off that huge uh, Champions League comeback victory over Barcelona. Lazio, they're dealing with a bit of heartbreak after uh, losing to, I guess you have to call them FC Salzburg since we're referring to Europa League, um, in terms of a 6-5 aggregate loss in the Europa League quarters. So um, definitely going to be an interesting match there. Josh, do you have a pick for a game of the week? Yeah, no surprise. I'll go to the the Bundesliga. Um, Mm. I'll look at, uh, there's a few different, um, I, I, well, there's one derby, uh, Schalke Dortmund, uh, the River Derby, but, you know, Schalke sits second at 52 points, Dortmund 51. Um, these, you know, both of these two are very likely going through to Europe. Um, so the one that actually really interests me is Bayer Leverkusen uh, versus Frankfurt. Um, Leverkusen currently sit fourth on 48 points and, and Frankfurt, uh, in fifth at 46 points and you know as we know now there's this shift in in Champions League rules which means the top four teams automatically go through to the group stage it would be pretty incredible to see a Frankfurt team that just two seasons ago was in a relegation playoff game uh, in Europe two seasons later and, and when you add the the drama of Nico Kovac who was just this morning announced as uh, Bayern Munich's, you know, head coach, next head coach, that adds a level of, of intrigue to this as well. So, you know, when you look at the Bundesliga, very often we're talking about uh, the big three, Munich, Schalke, Dortmund. It's always that fourth spot in Europe that, that is always up for, well, it's, it's, it's up for any team to win generally. We've seen Leipzig do it last season. and But I'm a big believer in... in you know, uh, in Kovac's ability to, to turn things around as he did. So if, if and um, again, reports coming out today that Frankfurt very upset with the fact that, that Bayern scooped him up, you know, with a few very important games left in the season. And a lot of people won in Frankfurt wondering why this couldn't wait till after the season. So a lot of intrigue heading into Leverkusen-Frankfurt uh, on the weekend. Yeah, surprise, surprise! Another Bundesliga pick, eh? <laughs> gotta be, gotta be. Yeah, um, let's let's continue with Roma talk. Actually, as as we launch into our Champions League segment, um, evidently the huge comeback, uh, the 3-0 win behind 4-1 on aggregate. Um, this is the first time to ever reach the semi-final stage in the Champions League era of this competition. It's almost too bad because, you know, it comes the year after Toti retires and um, it would have been really nice to have him experience that and uh, the swan song of his career, but um, timing isn't always perfect as we saw. 
Uh, Ed Ndiaco was was world class in this game. So was Costas Manolas. Um, there's a hilarious clip on Twitter of of the Italian um, commentators just shrieking his name after he scores that goal, and uh, what incredible scenes there were in Rome. Um, do you think this could be a turning point for a Rome team who, I mean, they've been runners up in Italy a few times, but uh, they haven't won a trophy in, in 10 years domestically or um, on the continent, and they haven't won the league at the turn of the century. Um, and we've seen, you know, uh, Pjanic, uh, Salah, uh, just a, a number of their players leave every transfer window. Um, do you think the new influx of cash this could bring might uh, help them hold some of these players, and evidently they seem to have a, a pretty good core there. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I'm more inclined to to think about this as just a good thing for the Champions League as a whole. I mean, how interesting is it that like when the quarterfinals, when the quarterfinal draw was announced, the overall kind of message or the overall belief was great. Now we're going to actually see the best four teams in Europe that being uh, Bayern, Madrid, Barcelona, and Man City, we're going to see them in the semifinals, and that's going to be great. And people were just, yeah, like that's that's just the way that, that things were assumed they'd go. And, and how great is it to see a bit of a shake-up at the top? Um, so, I, I, look, I'm a fan of, I again, I have to let my allegiances come through here, but Bayern has been burned by Barcelona before, so it's a one less Spanish team to deal with is 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 good for me personally but I think it's just great to see other teams that haven't normally you know had a lot of success in the Champions League find that success um, you know from year to year and you mentioned the Giants of Europe and I think Bayern's collapse or sorry rather uh, Barcelona's collapse I hope that wasn't a Freudian slip for for your sake um <laughs> Barcelona's collapse was was a bit multifaceted um you know they they didn't seem to rotate their squad very much which was very puzzling considering how far they are ahead in La Liga um they they also they just looked to to run out of energy or maybe they got too far ahead of themselves what do you think potentially happened to them in in just a shocking uh, second leg result yeah, I think it's just a lot of uh, momentum swings. I really do. And I think it's just a team that uh, there is uh, complacency that comes um, that comes with being up 4-1 uh, going into a match. And there's, there's the belief that in the back of your mind that, yeah, you know what, we might give up one, we might even give up two, but we're, we're going through because, you know, how often does this kind of thing happen? So that complacency... Uh, kind of seeps throughout a locker room and and I think it's very easy for teams to just not play as if you know this this a spot in the semifinals is on the line and then you know on the flip side you have a Roma team that again is playing with nothing to lose that's such a dangerous prospect when you have a team playing with nothing to lose and I understand I'm using a lot of cliches here but it, but it's it's evident if you watch that game that that Roma was was simply fighting and 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 Barca just weren't at times do you think this is the disaster um for Barcelona that people seem to be making it out to be evidently uh you know Messi and Iniesta and even Busquets they only have so many years left the the kind of core of the great days of this club is is 
behind them almost and uh the next generation hasn't really stepped up i mean they're almost buying a next generation right now which is what big clubs can do um do you think there there should be as much worry as there has been in in barcelona of late sure again because because of that complacency it's it's not so much do we have the players to compete because it's obviously they do but do we have the right the right mindset going into a game against a team like roma and, um, you know, I, I would hope that, you know, come next year in the Champions League, you know, when Barca is inevitably drawn against teams that, um, you know, might not look up to snuff on paper, that they don't take their foot off the gas. Um, it's, it, it's important. I think, you know, teams, the best teams uh, are the ones that, again, go into every game, not just kind of... <sighs> not just waiting out that 90 minutes, but expecting to win. And I don't think we saw that from Barca. In terms of uh, taking your foot off the gas, I think we saw Real Madrid do that a little bit, or uh, the counterpoint as well as Juventus had an incredible uh, second leg performance, but in typical Real fashion, they get away with it. Uh, A late penalty um, gives them a 4-3 win on aggregate. Do you think that penalty was the correct call considering uh, everything that's come out about since? Yes, I do. I mean, you, you, you can't. I mean, if we separate that penalty from the, if, if that penalty happens in the twelfth minute, that exact penalty happens in the twelfth minute of, um, you know, a, a Bundesliga two game um, <laughs> three months ago, that's a penalty. You know, you come from, yep. you come around from behind on a player, you stick your leg around him, you're impeding his chance at the ball. Like that's a penalty. There's no, to me, there's no question about it. My issue is with the red on Buffon. Um, And that's, this is tricky because, um, look, Buffon is Buffon. I mean, he is, uh, he's arguably the greatest goalie of our generation. He's respected as a man and he's respected as a a pillar of of the Juve community. Um, And... I don't love players, you know, getting a, a little too close to referees. But if you're the referee is in a tough spot here because he makes the call. It's the call he has to make. But at the same time, he has to expect some backlash as well. Um, it's very, very, very tough for these referees to get the call right. And then to also have the foresight to think, what is this going to mean moving forward? Um, if he calls that penalty, which he did, and then to give the red to Buffon, it's, it looks very, that, that just makes it all the more questionable. Um, and, and I'm not saying there was anything, I'm not inferring that there was anything else at play here, but I, I, it's, it irks me when that kind of, just as the same as, I know it's not on nearly on the same scale, but when Zidane, is given his red, you know, in, in 2006, right at the end of the game. And when reds are given right at the end of the game, and, and he, Buffon probably would not have stopped Ronaldo's penalty. If he hits that penalty the same way, I don't know if anybody can stop that. But it doesn't look good, right? It, it, the, 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 the first penalty call is fine. The red card I have a lot of, of trouble with. Because, again, it doesn't show that foresight in terms of how this is going to be perceived. 
And so interesting, of course, that Zizou is there standing on the sideline. And, you know, those comments have resurfaced um, from Gianluigi Buffon saying that, you know, maybe maybe at the end of my career, I'll go out with a headbutt uh, like Zidane. Now, obviously, um, this is nowhere near that in terms of, um, you know, how it's going to be perceived uh, once this all kind of blows over a little bit and how, um, you know, the the magnitude of all of it. But uh, in terms of, of drawing a line and, and the similarities of the moments, it, it, it was kind of funny in some ways. Um it's it's been a very unbuffon um in terms of you know you look at him as a professional and and yeah he's just been the consummate professional over the past few years and you know the comments saying that the ref has a trash can for a heart which um i think would be a great wizard of oz spin-off to be honest but um uh you know just the way this year has has well the year isn't over but the way the champions league and and the way this year ended with the italian national team um do you think he might not want to go out like this because uh, this would be a tough last year for a player who's had such a storied career yeah i don't know if he has a choice though right like i don't he's he's kind of it if he the the interesting thing here is Juve also has an incredible goalie uh just waiting in the wings right so it, it might the timing might not be best but will it cause him to want to play more sure you you don't want to go out on kind of the note that he did um but i i just i, I just think it might be uh, a little too late at this point I mean, the the one thing you would say is he still has looked very good before he got sent off in that game. He was excellent. Um, recent return to the Italian national team, he's been their best player. Um, so he does still look like he's up to that level. But as you said, Chesney waiting in the wings. Um, it's, it might only be a matter of time. Um, let's move on to another game that had a bit of refereeing controversy, that being Manchester City-Liverpool. Um, now, it's just the the goal that was disallowed it's almost just the timing of that goal the city had all the momentum at that point and you wonder um if they score that second goal do they come back because everything seemed to be going that way and that or their way and then it just gets whistled down what did you think about that call and do you think it potentially would have completely changed that tie um I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned it right off the top. We wanted comebacks, right? And and so, and I had said the same thing. Like, this is, you know, what, what happened at, in Barca and what happened, Barca-Roma and what happened with Madrid-Juve looks like a matter of momentum. So could it have changed things? Possibly. I mean, it, um, was it the right call? I mean, it, it. I think sometimes we're more inclined to think about Pep's reaction than the call itself and... and you know, we, we talked the other week about Herrera and, and um, manager's ability to drum up interest perhaps as a means to take away from what's actually at play here. So I don't think I don't think Pep rolled out um, the right lineup. I don't think he he was um, prepared tactically enough for for Liverpool. So, um, you know, Pep's kind of anger at the ref is is. Probably what we think of first and foremost, but it, that doesn't overshadow the fact that that you know, Klopp put together a a hell of a game plan, and and uh, again, like I said, that the the best teams find ways to win over two legs. 
And speaking of Pep, he has said that um, he believes City will win the Champions League in the next few years. Do you think that's true? And do you think he's the man to do it, considering the, the Champions League just seems to baffle him in some ways? He, he seems to make all kinds of weird decisions. Yeah, I, I don't know if he... It, I think he is the man, because I think that the more and more this happens, and, and by this I mean exiting the Champions League a bit early, that that will only drive him more and more, right? And and so I don't think Pep's going to rest. Pep has just an insatiable appetite for winning. Um, it's maybe not the best written book, but if you get a chance to read Pep Confidential and you get a look into the mindset and the daily approach of, of Pep Guardiola, like it's, he's just, he's this ceaseless energy. Uh, that he puts towards winning. And, and so I, I think he's the right man for now. Um, he's proven to be pretty good at, at managing stars and egos. And I, I have to imagine that, you know, come the next window, City's only going to add, add, add. And, 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 you know, players seem to be able to, to, well, Pep seems to be able to manage players pretty well. So, yeah, I think he's the man for now, right? And there was one more quarterfinal, um, that being Bayern Sevilla, Bayern advancing, of course. In terms of intrigue, uh, we'll we'll let you talk Bayern in a bit, but we'll we'll skip over that one for now. But um, one thing I did want to talk about a little bit before um, we look ahead to the semifinals was kind of I'm wondering a bit if we're overrating in terms of the soccer community as a whole, the Champions League, because. Um, you know, this is a narrative-driven industry, but just the way that people have been bashing Manchester City and Barcelona, um, City's on pace to to beat the Premier League points record and have run away with the league this season. In Barcelona, they might go undefeated, but both of their seasons are now being looked at um, as disasters as a result of, of what they've done in continental competition. Do you think that's fair? And do you think at the at the end of the season, maybe that'll blow over a little bit? Yeah, tough to say. I mean, it, the bigger clubs get, the, the the bigger the expectations are on them. And, and you get to a point where just winning a league isn't good enough anymore. Winning a league is expected. Um, but it's it's harder and harder to do in, in some, of your, some of Europe's big leagues. I would say all except, you know, with the exception of the Bundesliga, which even I'll be the first to admit is <laughs> is not a very... Can, you know, it's 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 often a, perceived as a one-team league, and and sometimes it is. Um, so I think it's just about managing expectations, right, and and ensuring that you, you know, your fans are well aware of of what your goals are for a season, right? Yeah, and uh, let's move on to um, the teams that are left in this competition. Um, let's let's start with Roma Liverpool. Uh, this this is definitely um, an interesting one in terms of I don't think many people would have picked either of these clubs to get this far. Liverpool's the only undefeated team in this competition. They've won uh, pretty much everything so far, and they do have that advantage of of Anfield, which has been huge for them up to this point. They actually haven't lost uh, at Anfield. Uh, since October of 2014, which is incredibly impressive in Europe. So um, they're definitely going to have that advantage. But Roma is going to be coming in, you know, just believing that that they have fate on their side. Um, what do you look at in terms of this tie? Um, I look at, 
I look at a, a, a tie where truly anybody can win, you know, and, and I don't really think there's a favorite because like you said, Liverpool on paper, you know, they look like the team, um, given who they had to, to, to get through and given the manner that they did it, they might look like the favorites at first glance, but boy, it's, it's, these are two, if, if you would have had the, the draw go differently and, and, you know, you have um, Bayern and, and Madrid not playing each other. You could say, all right, well, this is going to be a Bayern-Madrid final, right? Um, but now you just, you're going into this, this semifinal thinking anybody can win this. And that's, again, that's, that's, that's rare in Champions League these days, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you know, that's it's it's fun. Like you said earlier, it's fun to see these teams that, uh, well, obviously Liverpool um, have, you know, have a great storied history, but a team like Roma getting this far and kind of disrupting that um, that hierarchy in Europe, um, although the other semifinal is, is definitely um, a match more to that tune with, uh, apparently this is the most common matchup in European Cup Champions League history I was reading today, um, and it's going to happen again in the semifinal stage, that being Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. Um, I'd imagine, uh, as a Bayern Munich supporter as you are, that's got to be the worst draw you could have hoped for, although you had to play them eventually, probably. Yeah, you have to play them eventually. Um, was hoping that it's in the final where you know you, you well you get into a final and you, anything can happen. But um, you you look at last year and and how things ended in the quarterfinals, a lot of drama, and all you hope and and again this comes back to the end of the Madrid Juve quarterfinal. You just have to hope that it's that it's a game that is not not necessarily decided, but it's one where we're not talking about the refereeing afterwards. Um, because when Bayern go out uh, in the quarterfinals last year to Madrid, um, I, you know, Bayern's leadership were talking about the refereeing afterwards. And that's just, that, that, that's not what you want. So as long as we're, we're talking about anything uh, besides that, it's, it's going to be a pretty great uh, semifinal because... Again, like you said, you have two teams that are, I would argue, the two best teams in terms of the Champions League right now. They're they're where they should be. Uh, two teams that are very very capable of winning it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, forgetting you know putting my own bias aside. It, it it will very likely be some great soccer. And before we um, leave Bayern, I, I wanted to talk quickly about uh, the Nico Kovac hiring and and what do you think about it? I mean, you talked about earlier um, what it means from a Frankfurt st- Frankfurt standpoint, but um, what do you think about it for for Bayern? I'm a fan any time of of a a big team going with a younger, uh, possibly more progressive coach. Um, I think when you look at what at, at Bayern's very recent track record in terms of Carlo Ancelotti and and Jopinks, I mean, it, this is these are these were two of the safest bets that Bayern could have made. So for them to go a bit off board, um, there wasn't a lot of big names available. I mean, people, some people were talking about uh, Conte as a, a possible choice at the end of the season, but no, I. I you, Bayern is very big on finding people that have Bayern experience and, and he's he's spent some time 
in a Bayern shirt. So it's he has that connection. They they really want to continue that Mia San Mia mentality where they treat it like a family kind of atmosphere. Um, so yeah, look, I I'm uh, I, I'm really I'm excited about it because I I think it's it's good for. Uh, Byron to kind of be at the forefront of of bringing in younger innovative coaches and you look at what he's done with Frankfurt that's really really impressive uh, if he can learn to manage stars and manage egos it sounds from by all accounts it sounds like Ribery and Robin have, are going to be given you know another uh, extra year contracts which I'm not thrilled about but that's that is what it is and if you can learn to manage stars and manage egos, you should be okay. And those semifinals will start on April 24th and April 25th. Um, that will be the first leg of those. Also in Europe, the Europa League draw came out this morning as well. The semifinals are FC Salzburg against Marseille and Atletico Madrid against Arsenal, um, which will definitely be an interesting tie. We haven't talked a lot about Europa League on this show, but we will in the coming weeks. Um, let's move on to our final segment, that being our crazy soccer story of the week. And um, this time it's a, it's a GoFundMe for an English club um, called Darlington. They are in the National League North, which is the sixth division of England. Basically, you know, they started to GoFundMe to um, get fans to invest in the club's transfer budget and to give their manager, Tommy Wright, some more money to do um, what he does to bring in players. So far, they've raised £45,000, which is pretty impressive for a club of their statute. Uh, they're looking at trying to raise 80000 um, and... You know they're they're trying to get that to push for promotion. Um, there's also Kickstarter like incentives, which is interesting as well, including the ability to design the club's 2018-19 kit, which I wonder how much leeway fans have there because uh, we all know they could end up with some kind of Kitty McKit face or something stupid like that, which always seems to happen when that when these kind of things get crowdsourced. But um, what do you think about that? Certainly in terms of uh, you know the Bundesliga having having their fan-driven ownership, but this almost takes it to another level. Yeah, it does. I Look, I, I like it. I like, you know, we're, we're increasingly seeing soccer become a global corporate game, and that's inevitable. That really, really is inevitable. There's, there's no real point in fighting against that because there's just too much money to be made. So anything like this, uh, you know, puts a smile on my face. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. As always, Josh, thanks for joining me. Uh, what do you have in the works over the at the athletic that people can read? Well, we're obviously going to be doing a few uh, features to to well ahead of the the two legged Champions League final with TFC and Chivas, so you can keep an eye out for that. And uh, I've really been enjoying the starting 11 column, which has been out recently. It's kind of like a 31 thoughts for soccer fans. So make sure to check that out um, and make sure to check out Josh alongside all of your favorite Canadian soccer personalities at Footy Talks on May 3rd at the Rivoli. Doors open at 7 p.m. You won't want to miss it. I'm Mitchell Tierney. And for the Footy Talks podcast, have a good week, everyone.